Hello, friends. This is Gregory, and before we jump into this episode, I have an exciting announcement to make. I am on a mission to have 100 conversations with people around their biggest dreams. I'm doing this to step more into my purpose of helping people achieve their biggest dreams and live a story worth telling. If you're listening to this, I want to sit down with you for an hour and enter Dreamville. This is a space where the past does not exist and anything is possible. Together, we will step into this space so that I can help you increase the likelihood of you achieving your dream life in less time with less pain and effort and less sacrifice. If that sounds fun, if that sounds interesting, head to www.gregoryrussellbenedict.com and book your free dream session. Everyone has a dream, but the real question is, are you ready to start living yours? Welcome back to the Dare to Dream podcast. My name is Gregory Russell Benedict. My name is Vincent Van Patten. And this is a podcast all about inspiring you to embark on the adventure of your life and live a story worth telling. Yes. Yeah, we've been talking about that a lot this morning. How living a story worth telling encapsulates everything, you know, all these things that we're trying to figure out in life and what you're doing with your business and what I'm doing with my life here in Japan. It's all about living a story worth telling. That's what it all comes down to. And whatever that means to you, it should inspire you to kind of just go for something. And go that's what we're it. doing here. So Greg, how did you tell how setup is? How we not figure this out? Two things. First, thank God we got it right with live a story worth telling because it is permanent. And second, yeah. Meaning we got that tattooed on our butts when he was in for, Japan. For those of you who don't know, it's tattooed on my butt and Vinny's forehead. <laughs> you haven't seen him recently. So I go forehead to butt for it to be the direct translation. Anyway. <laughs> the direct link. We are we are figuring out how to make it work. We are recording this on Zoom with no video because the internet's not good enough for that. But we have FaceTime pulled up separately that's muted so i'm getting Vinny's audio through zoom and his beautiful face at least half of it he keeps going in and out of the screen on facetime and we're making it work that's right because it's worth it it's worth it you are worth it buddy you are worth it champido and we talked about i think i hit you up like a week and a half ago which is far too long Thing. I had a little revelation, a, a dream, just why we're doing this thing. And we probably talk about it every time, but it's, I just have a vision that one day the Dare to Dream brand will be the thing that one of the driving pillars in our careers. And I don't know how it's going to happen, but what's so special about this experience, I think, is that we're not simply looking back on the way we became successful. And this, obviously that is inspiring, but this is a, why my, my back program that I'm in to heal my back is so helpful is because hopefully we're showing what it's like in the mud of the process of going for your dreams. And like, I have that moment of insight. I see ourselves in the future. <laughs> I have, yes, I see the future. And 
Dare to Dream is, is a serious entity and it's inspiring people and it's lighting, lighting people's souls on fire. And, you know, one day that will be the case, but for now it's, it's amazing to, to show what it's like, what we're going through, like this experience right now of trying to figure out is how to make it work week by week. We will not stop. There's been so many times <laughs> when keeping this podcast going has seemed unfeasible, Un unfeasible. <laughs> unfeasible but we will not stop and we will not no. learn how to correctly pronounce words either no nor record a podcast i also had another dream that we recorded just about our favorite books and i woke up I'm like i guess we gotta do this honor it and we'll start there we'll bob and weave just kind of talk about things that have been inspiring us we've been going through what we've been reading and greg what why don't you start us off Great. I'm going to start us off in a completely different direction. Yeah, we're we don't going to have to talk about that. Well, we're coming back to the books. Don't you worry. Don't you worry about that. What is top of mind for me, because I was listening to it right before this call, is what is the purpose of a story? And with all this talk about living a story worth telling, let's get into it. So the purpose of a story is to elicit emotion. And at its core, stories only have three elements. Every story has a character, that character has desire, and that character experiences conflict. And we've mentioned this in different ways before, but struggle is what makes a good story. No one wants to read the story that says, Jimmy had this big goal, and then he went out and achieved the goal, the end. Like that's got a big fish. That's a boring story. There has to be the conflict the highs, the lows. And that is really resonating with me in my own life right now. Last week, I had an ugly cry for the first time in a while. I've had some, some pretty cries, some pretty cries, you know, watching a sad movie. You're watching Disney Pixar's soul and it hits Rank. you in the soul. You cry a little bit. But last week, everything just felt heavy. Felt like I was back at square one. I was questioning everything. And Realizing that if you are embarking on a journey, if you're embarking on this quest to live a story worth telling, there's going to be struggle. And to not get down on yourself when the struggle happens, going back to what we said on an episode way long ago, reminding yourself that struggle is what makes the story. It's actually such a big part of it and that it's okay to feel that, that this is what hard feels like. 100%. That makes me think of what we were talking about earlier. To live a story we're telling means there's going to be beautiful beginnings and difficult goodbyes. And like my dad was here. So I'm on my two week summer vacation from teaching English. And my dad was here last week, came and showed him Osaka, where I'm living, went to Kyoto for a day, and then went four days in Okinawa, some island time. And epic trip. Like, just couldn't believe that. I'm showing my dad my home, my life in Japan. And we're in the airport. He's flying back from Okinawa to LA. I'm coming back to Osaka. Kind of a stressful day. My dad likes to, you know, sometimes we're comfortable in our, in our stress. So he's just a little more stressed. And I'm just kind of chilling. <laughs> and the goodbye came quick. Kind of just came out of nowhere. Like, well, this is it. Like, I'll see you, talk to you soon. I love you. It's been great. 
and I just hugged. He went off. And I'm like, wow, I don't know. I'm going to see him again. Could be a year, more, less. But just, I started welling up, just watching him go. It's very romantic. So, like, I sat down, and then, like, later, I saw him turn around, maybe to see me, maybe to look for a sign or something. But I'm like, <laughs> oh, man, <laughs> didn't see me. And it just hit me. I'm like, I'm on my own again. Out here in Japan, went to the corner of the airport, just started crying and felt good. It's started journaling about it and those tough moments. I mean, I was flying home to Osaka to, I did feel in that moment, I was very sad, but then being on the plane and the next day and stuff, I was excited that the adventure was continuing. Like I, I definitely had. The biggest one was coming back from Japan my first time. And that was the beginning of everything. I was in a shell for two weeks in LA just because I knew so badly that I did not want that adventure to end and I wanted to make it my life. And that was the difficult goodbye there, saying goodbye to Japan, this door that just opened. And then it, it was the beginning of everything. So it feels like stepping into a new season now. I haven't seen my dad and seeing family here for the first time. And now kind of cathartic and move on to the next thing. And one of my best friends, newer friend here in Osaka is now leaving and we've been hanging all week and very difficult. Like he's definitely feeling very sad and nothing wrong with that whatsoever. It's part of that human experience. It means you are living a story worth telling. If the thing you are doing, the life that you're living is making you so sad to say goodbye to, even if you're starting something new. Yeah. What comes up for me and what you shared is how sudden the shift is from, especially with family, with parents, you're with your parents, you are feeling a certain type of way. Whenever I'm with my parents, I feel like I regress like 10 years of maturity <laughs> And things that I can do on my own when I'm by myself suddenly feel hard and that I need their help with. And then I've had that exact experience with my dad at the airport where we say goodbye. He walks out of sight and then you're like, oh my gosh, like I'm suddenly alone. And like now I'm back to being an adult. And it's so interesting how that happens and how different we can show up based on who we're with and who we surround ourselves with. Interesting point. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it does just feel like just noticing little things like when you're with your parents, like getting back into that child state of mind, doing the things that used to piss them off when for a kid, they're doing the things that used to piss you off. But obviously it was it was so good and one of the best trips of my life experiencing that. But yeah, man, it is it is sad, especially like coming here with the you know, a year ago, it's about to be it's a few weeks from being in Japan for a year. And you just, the beautiful thing, silver lining. And what makes this so amazing is that you're doing something so interesting that it's hard to say goodbye to, but you just can't possibly imagine what waits you in that next, next season. Coming here, I thought I would have no friends. <laughs> I, for some reason, I thought I'd come to Japan and just be like lone wolf in it trying to learn Japanese, just kind of getting by writing, you know, writing is the thing that grounds me and that I have, but I cannot have imagined that I would so quickly fall into 
true friend group of like people that I love and just great people. And, and the people that I've met since last year, and Santana is leaving and just becoming really close with him in a short amount of time. Has a great mustache, like Greg. Mm, trying to replace out. me. Good luck. Yeah. <laughs> uh, did a recent episode with him. Pretty great one. So check it out. And, but he's like going off to do some amazing things, starting a retreat in Mexico. Like just if you listen to the episode. He's living his life. Always living a story we were telling, just doing one epic adventure after the next. But even for him, it's really hard to say goodbye to Japan. But, you know, it happens, like you were saying, that shift happens so quickly from sadness and when you step into that unknown, how things can just surprise you and open up. You just got to have faith that what you're doing, what you're following and eventually you're about to have will be at the very least interesting, but if you've done it before, like I came here and made friends, you're not going to stop. So have faith in that. Feel those feelings. It's nothing wrong with feeling sad. Saying yeah, nothing wrong with it. It is so interesting how Japan has played a big part in both of our journeys and both of our stories. That first Japan trip was really the beginning of the end for both of us <laughs> in terms of you getting back, realizing that's where you wanted to be. And then going through COVID, feeling like you were being blocked or prohibited from that place where you felt most called to. And then for me, it was just the beginning of the end of oh, my whole life falling apart and <laughs> me realizing that what I was doing and who I was being, more importantly, was not who I wanted to be. So, so interesting that a place can have such a big impact like that. And then we joke about this all the time, but we are always like in sync in terms of the highs and the lows. I feel like that's how it is with a lot of my friends. It seems like we're all riding a high together and we'll be talking a lot and catching up about it. And then the space that we don't catch up is usually because we're both in the low and we're not wanting to reach out and talk as much because sometimes mm -hmm. it feels less good to catch up when you don't have exciting things to share and you're just kind of in the mud sure yeah it feels like when you're down you kind of got to figure it out yourself before you can open up again and that's like when we need to open up the most you could see him when you're down you called me and just told me you're crying buddy i would have been there and you know it's not easy don't want to be vulnerable and i am just I'm hurting. I need you. But yeah, realizing yes, it, it is fascinating how I wonder why it is that people, our age group, maybe just because we're all going through these highs and lows and it's seldom what you see on the surface. Instagram, for example, you see all the good stuff, but you don't see the ebbing and the flowing in between and just being a little more attuned to that and open to it. It helps us realize that we're all going through the same stuff. Yeah. And what that brings up for me is super interesting. I'm reading a book. It's an old school personal development book. We're going to get on the books. I think, <laughs> well, I wasn't planning on going there yet, but let's go there. This is not, right. by no means is it my favorite book. I will be talking about those, but I found it on my parents' bookshelf and it's called Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus. It's a very famous 
book right. about the differences between men and women and their communication styles. And it popped into my head because what you were just mentioning and what I was mentioning, men tend to like to solve their problems by themselves. It's called going into the cave. We want to figure it out on our own so that when we talk to people, we can we can talk about our problem, but from a stance of, oh, I figured it out. Here's how I figured it out. I mean, I'm the king of this. Like I only record podcast episodes about being vulnerable once I've moved through that, once I've moved through the messy middle, once I've figured it out, once I have a takeaway, once I have the three steps on how to do it. And at least according to this book, that's how men operate. Whereas women, when they're in pain, loneliness, suffering, hardship, they want to talk about it. They seek others' input and support, whereas men like to be by themselves and figure it out. So that could be playing into at least the people I was thinking of who we ebb and flow in the same ways. And you and I were obviously men. But when I was reading this this morning, I did think that like you and I are pretty in touch with our feminine energy, I would say, maybe Mm -hmm. more than most men. And I think that's why we're able to, like, sometimes we go into the cave and we need to figure it out on our own. But a lot of times we will reach out to each other for that support and just be in the mud together. Dude, 100%. Yeah, I could say that you are very feminine. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Yes. Not you, though. No, I am a burly man cries every third night men who cry <laughs> hashtag um and part of the uh frequent criers club i got a sticker on my computer <laughs> yes you do anyway anyway it's true that you i mean i do think that's it's it's both of it it's like i totally feel like i hate well not to hate it's uncomfortable and to be vulnerable and especially on instagram where i'm trying to show that vulnerable vulnerable side more, especially with my progression, with my back pain, to show what it's like on the journey of coming out of it. And it's, of course, I want to show when I'm feeling good, I just overcame this thing, but because I, I, I get in my own head, I'm like, people don't want to just see, hear about your pain. People don't want to just see that you're hurting. Like they're on Instagram to feel good. Then I got feedback from like, two of my best friends here. Like, dude, like I love just when you you show that, that you're hurting and your real side is because we're just scrolling. All you're seeing is everybody's on vacation. Everybody's having fun, looking the best. Then you see a post that's like, I'm hurting. Uh, I had a real low this week. You know, I, I can't, can't do my taxes. <laughs> Ooh, we skipped. <laughs> Next. Oh boy. Yeah, just unfollow. <laughs> but it's like, it's refreshing to see somebody who isn't perfect and is going through something because that's what we're feeling in some capacity. We're all definitely dealing with something. And even though it's, it is tough, it's not the thing that you want to post. It's there are other people who, who need it too and can help you. That's, that's how I came across the back blueprint that I'm doing now is because I started sharing about the back pain and somebody showed me, person who I'm following now, Brandon Backstrom, low back ability, shout out. And through sharing what's like in the mud too, other people are hitting me up and saying, hey man, I don't know if you knew this, but I suffered a bulging disc and kind of the same thing. And just 
thank you for sharing what you're going through and kind of spreading the gospel a little bit with this new program and that it's even I'm, I'm about to say now like once i come out of it i'll look like i'll want to share all the stuff because yeah. it'll feel like i accomplish it but what's even more helpful maybe is being in the throes of it and sharing what it's like because that is those are the moments where you have faith or you have to that's why it just definitely made me who i am is because never lost my faith throughout this freaking journey and it's no matter how hard it gets like that is what i hope to people with yes yes there's something really powerful here we're not going to books yet we're not going to books yet people. we don't have to no we will get there but dude yes yeah. there's something in this that i've been thinking about a lot and that the most motivating things, and maybe this is because I'm a weirdo who's also slightly masochistic, but the things that fire me up are sad. What's the word I'm looking for? Kittens. They're Contact. sad. They're real. They're harsh. They're, that was the word I'm looking for. Harsh. Like my favorite, the quotes that hit me the most are always the ones where you read them and you're just like, wow, like, damn. Yeah. They just yeah, like a little slap in the face or a big slap in the face. Like those are all, when I look back at my life and the things that either inspire me or motivate me, like I never read a quote that's like, it's a, it's a great day to have a great day. And I'm like, wow, that changed my life. But when you read quotes like- My favorite quote. Comparison is the thief of joy. Or you read about the number one regret of the dying. Or you read Charles Bukowski talking about the nine to five and how it just slowly- kills you and drains the color from your veins and your soul like it's that kind of stuff that inspires me so much but yet and that's the stuff that makes me take action but i'm the same way as you it's like oh i don't want to post anything negative or i don't want to ask questions that might make people reflect negatively on their current situation like i have such a tendency to skew toward the positive because i like being positive but it's the it's the harsh truths and the sadness and the pain that really wakes you up and that really motivates action. 100%. What is that? The catechism of comfort where it's like if things are reasonably good, you won't really take action, but you kind of the wake up call of hitting rock bottom to make serious changes. And we got one life, man. It's That's why it's so inspiring with this back journey. It's I know I'll never give up on it. And I, trust me, I, there's lots of times where I'm losing my faith and I just kind of want to give in to saying, well, this is the way it's going to be forever. So be it. But I don't know. You got to freaking believe all your heart that you will make it through this. And that goes for me and I guess for whatever you are dealing with and enduring that. You have to believe, no matter how hard how hard it gets, that you will make it through, because you will. You yeah. Will. Not being afraid to look at the the dark, the dark side of things, because there's a lot of there's the gifts, gifts in the abyss, gifts in the dark. Mm. That's gift with a T, not not gifts. There's gifts. <laughs> oh, baby's doing the rodeo. Yeah, uh, books. Is it book time? <laughs> I guess so. We don't have to talk about it, but um, yeah, I've been reading Harry Potter. <laughs> yeah, 
We know. That's we know because I had to freaking drag you to the bookstore in Japan and force you to buy Harry Potter because you said, I don't need to read the books. I've seen the movies. I've been reading Harry Potter on my own free will. Nobody told me to. Uh, I'm on the fourth <laughs> on the fourth one. And it's great. I don't want I don't want to buy seven big books. I kind of realized that after the first three. So now I'm reading on Kindle, but it's kind of the perfect book just to like pop a few pages on the train. I don't feel like I have to finish it in like a month. I could take like six months, just casually read it. And, mm-hmm. and every few pages is a little, a little gift. And yeah, the book is epic. The fourth one, just the magic, you know, it's easy, but the magic of, of reading the actual book is awesome. Just the, if you're not a Harry Potter fan, you're not in a script, please, please take off the headphones. I never listen to this podcast again. <laughs> yeah, it's, it is different. And that's what's so magical about book is why I love it and why it's hard for people that have seen the movie is because it creates a fantasy in your head. That's something that you come up with. You see the words, you see the imagination of the writer, but it's in your head, this world comes alive and you carry it with you. You becomes a part of you books they're great so yeah on the fourth one that's been good yeah what harry potter what a great series so i just finished the second of the king killer chronicles it's a trilogy supposedly the third book has not been written yet Vinny mm. introduced them to me first one is called name of the wind the author is patrick rothfuss yes the second one is called The Wise Man's Fear, and they're exceptional. It's like kind of Harry Potter meets Lord of the Rings in a whole different type of world. How would you describe them? Yeah, a little bit of a darker fantasy world. Lord of the Rings, a little bit more like fantastic, fantastical than Lord of the Rings, darker than Harry Potter in a kind of young adult, but like it's, it's gritty, it's sexy it's just i love the kind of the grit like how how he describes the cities and you just imagine like dirt on stone and these beautiful rooftop and sparkling moon and interesting characters a lot of conflict and like deep conflict where things get hairy which is fun not harry potter but not quite and I, i think what i like about these books is you can tell it was written at least this is my interpretation. You can tell it was written by a dude because the main character is a, is a dude. And I love how, and so I feel like in so many of those books, like Frodo, Frodo Baggins, for example, Lord of the Rings, he sucks. He's sucks. just a weak little, a weak little man. And I know that on the hero's <laughs> journey, the, 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 the character arc, you're supposed to start out weak and then become strong, but he, does, like he, he never, never evolves. He never evolves. And what I love about the main character in these books is he's just such a legend at like age yeah. 10 unapologetic yeah he, at age 10 he's already smarter than everyone and he's the best arcanist which is a magician essentially and he just crushes it and obviously he has his flaws but he is so powerful and strong and it's awesome i love it it's like it's so frustrating when the main character doesn't have enough power and like keeps blowing it and getting things yeah. wrong. And in this, I feel like he just keeps crushing it. So it was a yeah. fun read. 
and it's you know zero to start from the bottom story like he won't give too much away but he's by no means like a privileged little boy he's rags to riches sort of thing (laughs) yep so it's epic it's only two and for now and it brings up red rising perhaps yes let's go there next and then yes and then we'll and then we'll come over to this guy we're talking fantasy all right we're talking fantasy red rising if you haven't read red rising pierce brown stop what you're doing turn off this terrible podcast and go listen to it go go read the books they're super good also another instance where the main character is an alpha male super powerful just a beast doesn't start off that way and it's so good it's super it's one of the most unique worlds i think that has been created it's just so cool all of the instead of different races there are different colors like each person is a different color so there's the reds the golds the pinks the obsidians and it's based on like your ability different colors have different abilities and bodies you're born into a cast exactly cast system yes it's kind of futuristic but dark gritty and what i love about it it's it's like a plausible future because it's based off of greek and roman mythology and but it's like way off into the distance and it's like what what happened if one race just turned the others into slaves and you know obviously some historic uh get the picture but yeah it is it is freaking brilliant the characters are epic it's just how books sometimes like with name of the wind it kind of feels relatable like you feel like uh it's i can see myself in that it's fantastic but it's like kind of this world that i could believe this it's like greater than greater than god but still believable but it really just opens up your imagination i'm sure people see read those books in very different ways and yeah the characters are awesome very love action action packed epic yeah and i would describe this one the red rising and it's a trilogy there's red rising golden sun and then morning star i might have gotten the last two mixed up but i would say it is hunger games meets greek mythology meets space yeah Pretty much Star Wars status. Yeah. Super yeah. cool. I how books can be much for some reason the main like fantasy books are grittier. Like it's you just read the details of like what's happening as opposed to the music and stuff of like Star Wars. It's fun, it's exciting, but the books are like the nitty-gritty gnarliness of a fantasy world that's semi plausible. Books are sweet. That's actually really interesting. Star Wars, I feel like, is one of those few franchises that there's no Star Wars books, right? No. Wow. Interesting. I wonder if that's why. Well, I mean, I was going to say, I feel like with books, you can describe. You can just describe that so much better than a movie. Mm -hmm. Yeah. For sure. And you could you, you could say so much more in a book like just with reading the Harry Potter books, there's so much that's not in the movies. Things are changed. Quite different. That's an example. Yeah, just how the story is presented in the fourth one. It's different. 
how they arrive at Hogwarts, the other two schools. Oh, batons and board, oh, yeah. board master or something. I forget, but so cool. Yeah, that's great. So, so for a fantasy series that has a woman protagonist, I'm, let's see, only 74 pages into this, but it's called A Court of Thorns and Roses. It's a number one best-selling series. I think there's six or so, and I'm just starting, but it is female approved. My girlfriend loves it. Her roommates love it. <laughs> I'm loving it. Really good. This is more fantasy than hmm, more fantasy than Name of the Wind. Like there's fairies and wolves and magic. And I guess there are a lot of that in Name of the Wind, but this is really good so far. I can't describe it too much because I just started, but really liking this. And as much as I love a strong male protagonist for fantasy books, I'm really enjoying the woman protagonist. I often enjoy the woman protagonist more just to see women could be so sick, like so cool, just in their swag and abilities just to be badass. So I look like, what was it? A good one. Was the uh, World War Two when? Oh, the Nightingale? Nightingale. That's that was so book. good. Oh, Yeah. That's not good, bud. Keep us updated. It's almost as good as that uh, one book we read. What was that? 1Q84? <laughs> oh, man. That erotic was Japanese novel. Extremely that's erotic. A thousand pages. 1200. Yep. Maybe skip that one. Don't need to read it. Uh, yeah, don't love Murakami too much. Haruki Murakami, Japanese writer. I read Norwegian Wood recently. And so, and also erotic. It's, it's all of his books are erotic. That's just, <laughs> didn't love it. Didn't love it, but pretty good. Uh, but I did read. So, if any writers listen to this, that'd be an honor, but an interesting experiment. So, I read. One book, Light in August, by, uh, heck was his name? Here we go. Faulkner, William Faulkner. Mm. And he's one of the 1920s, 1930s, maybe earlier. American, you know, classics, one of the greats, 20th century literature. And he writes in such, it's like a stream of consciousness sort of style where you don't really know. Sometimes it's pretty clear what's happening, but it's often just beautiful, poetic writing. It's like flowery, flowery and interesting language. But you're like, is he thinking this? Is he saying this? Is this actually happening in the scene? So a little bit more difficult, but really interesting about just great stuff in the early 20th century um, in America. And after that, I'm like, I need just a, a clean, just a classic. So I went to one of my favorite books, The Sun Also Rises, Hemingway. Mm. And Hemingway is known for his clean style, doesn't use too many, just tells it as it is, describes the scene as best as possible, tries to one, one, right, one true sentence, and then another, then another. That's his thing. But then we realize we're reading these two very different styles that there is no correct way to write there isn't because i tell myself like with writing my book right now 
was influenced by both of these books that some parts of it are kind of flowery descriptions of whatever. Some I try to just clean and just kind of move through it. And I think that creates a nice flow. But if you're a writer, yeah, there isn't one way to do it. And there's no shame. And also, I think it's good practice to try to emulate people and learn from the greats because they're both obviously legendary, but so different and just see what feels better, have fun with it. And um, so the book, Sun Also Rises, is 1920s, just a couple of guys in Paris bopping around. They go on a little trip, love story, the main character. It's in love with this girl and kind of this forbidden love, but they go on a trip, three of them, plus like her boyfriend and one other guy to the bullfights in Pamplona, Spain and stop on the way for a little fishing in Spain. And it's just very clean and how it shows that there can be so much in a story where nothing really huge happens. It's just the slice of life of real people that they're experiencing the emotions. And that is what's so cool about writing too. A book doesn't need this crazy story like Red Rising. It could be about a weekend trip, like what is the movie? <laughs> be a weekend trip to go wine tasting and like so much can happen or this book where there's, they're going to the bullfights and it's one of the greatest books of all time. So I would recommend Sun Also Rises, Ernest Hemingway. And while we're on the topic of Hemingway, I have to share a quote that I don't know if this is actually Hemingway or <laughs> it's just Hemingway in yeah. A Midnight in Paris. He has one of the mm-hmm. best monologues of all time in Midnight in Paris. He's talking to Owen Wilson, asking if when he makes love to his fiance, if he, for a brief moment, stops fearing death. And Hemingway says, I believe that love that is true and real creates a respite from death. All cowardice comes from not loving or not loving well, which is the same thing. And then the man who is brave and true looks death squarely in the face, like some rhino hunters I know, or Belmonte, who is truly brave. It is because they make love with sufficient passion to push death out of their minds until it returns as it does to all men. And then you must make really good love again. And he asks Owen Wilson, like, what do you, what do you make you love? Like, do you, do you, yeah, do you forget about the fear or forget about death? No, no, I don't think so. That's actually what I fear the most. Oh man. So good. And then while we're while we're on the the quote train, just we're talking about Haruki Murakami, a quote that I do love by him. I don't quite love his erotic novels, but I do love this quote. And once the storm is over, you won't remember how you made it through, how you managed to survive. You won't even be sure whether the storm is really over. But one thing is certain. When you come out of the storm, you won't be the same person who walked in. That's what this storm's all about. Wow. That's hard. Yeah. It's a good one. The struggle changes you. It forges you into who you are meant to become. What life is all about. Because we're all going through something. And I know you said before, like you haven't had that thing that by not choice, I don't know what, what's the that? <laughs> involuntarily face the storm, but you do it voluntarily again and again because you know that that is what forges us we need that 
grinding pressure to get stronger and better. And it is not an easy road for anyone, but that storm most definitely changes us. Yeah. And I think maybe that's where we tie everything together and bring things to a close of it is, it strikes me as interesting that as humans, we are seeking comfort and happiness and joy. And yet, time and time again, we're reminded that the things that we look back on as being most meaningful are the times of struggle, the times of hardship, the pain cave, the dark night of the soul. So interesting. For sure, for sure. Because it just makes you feel human again. And it makes you appreciate the how good life is when you come out on the other side or when you could see even in the heart of the storm, use a metaphor here, you're in the eye of the storm and that's where the peace is. That's where it's not completely just wild. In the eye of the storm, it's, it's serene, it's calm. And if you could see, and this is what I try to do as much as I can, that you are being forged when you are inside of it. And if you can appreciate what it's giving you, and even if that's just a more simple perspective of life and be grateful for it, then you will make it through and be a better person for it. 100%. And that reminds me of one more quote that I'd like to say to bring us home. It's the philosopher John McMurray talking about one of the dilemmas of life. I don't think I've shared this with you, Vinny. I think you will like this one a lot. In imagination, we feel sure that it would be lovely to live with a full and rich awareness of the world. But in practice, sensitiveness hurts. It is not possible to develop the capacity to see beauty without developing also the capacity to see ugliness, for they are the same capacity. The capacity for joy is also the capacity for pain. We soon find that any increase in our sensitiveness to what is lovely in the world increases our capacity for being hurt. That is the dilemma in which life has placed us. We must choose between a life that is thin and narrow, uncreative and mechanical, with the assurance that even if it is not very exciting, it will not be intolerably painful, and a life in which the increases in its fullness and creativeness brings a vast increase in delight, but also in pain and hurt. Dude, yeah. That, that definitely lands the plane that brings it all together because. That with the whole saying goodbye means the hellos. If you could feel that deeply, that means you're doing something extraordinary in its own way. And I just keep repeating myself, even maybe even mostly in those difficult moments, that it is a gift, a privilege to be able to feel. And the opposite of love is apathy. Yeah. Difference, apathy. That's a... Lumineers, that's <laughs> so true. Like, what, what a gift! That's what I wrote when I said goodbye to my dad. My journal. Like, how lucky am I to have this experience that it hurts this bad to say goodbye and to be able to feel. Life is extraordinary. It's a wild experience, and it's the same capacity to feel the low that enables you to have those highs. And accepting that, realizing that you can't have one without the other. The lower the lows, the higher the highs, the more you will fully embrace and cherish life. For sure. They aren't so different. It's just feeling deeply. And it all comes down to love. All right. 
That's it. Say it every time. Every time. Love you all. Thank you. Touched on some fantasy classics. That's fine. Thank you for listening.